Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. Take your Bibles with me, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, please. Well, first of all, just warn you ahead of time, I did not get some new revelation or word from the Lord while I was gone. Um, You know, you go into it thinking, okay, Lord, well, first of all, I had a box full of books. I had uh, lots of uh, blank sheets of paper, which I wrote a lot in, and uh, I got to be able to spend a lot of time with the Lord. And it's interesting, when you spend time with the Lord, the first things God usually does is starts convicting you of sin. I'm like, Lord, I didn't come on this for that. I already know I'm a sinner. I don't need this part of things happening in my life. But man, what a sweet time and yet and a refining time is God allowed me to really look at some of the things that I battle with in my life. And I just want to encourage each of you. What it, one of the things it reminded me of is that I don't take enough time to just even ask God to say, Lord, would you share and show it in my heart, in my life, where are the areas that I am sinning in? Where are the areas that I am still not giving over to you? Where are the areas in my life that I need to commit to you? Where are the areas in my life, Lord, that I'm not willing to let go of? Where are those closets, Lord, that I have the key to in my heart? Where is the drawers that I have the key to that are locked to you? And instead to say, Lord, my life is really all yours. And I talk a lot about living open-palmed. And yet God convicted me about some things in my life where he goes, yeah, but what about this, John? And what about this? And as he slowly pried my fingers and revealed some of the fears of my heart and some of the ways that I don't trust my God, it was a very convicting time. So I encourage you to do that. I know I want to make that a bigger part of my life moving forward is I don't do that enough because I feel like I already know God. I know that I'm struggling, but no, to let him specifically and purposefully point out to you the areas that he wants to work on and that we're not willing to give over to him. That was a really, really powerful time um, for me in that. And what happened as a result of that is another thing that God really challenged me about, and that's what I want to talk to you about today, is prayer. You know, when you think of prayer historically as a church, unfortunately, too, in, too often and too many times, prayer meetings and prayer times are the least attended things we do. They're the things that we put the least amount of energy in. It's the thing that we sometimes act like we know the least about. It's the thing that some of us kind of just kind of throw prayers out to God when we're in danger, when we're having difficulty, when we're at the end of our rope, and not something we do as a constant conversation with our God. And God really convicted me about the fact that I don't think we corporately and me individually take the time to pray to God and really spend time talking to him the way that I should. And spending time to go through the things he lays out, even the Lord's Prayer, the elements of what prayer can look like, confession and repentance and thankfulness and supplication, taking others before him, and doing those things on an ongoing basis. And the Bible is chock full of prayers, folks. The the Bible is chock full of reminders to us and seeing the great men men and women of God and how they came before his throne and they prayed prayers of thanksgiving and prayers of desperation and everything in between to their God. So I took some time this month to just really start to read through the prayers of the Bible. Now, first of all, a lot of the Psalms are a lot of prayers that were turned into songs that David did. Things that were going on in his heart and his life. And if you see that, you see the deep and intense emotion. David was a very musical person. And so he put his emotion and his feelings and his struggles and his victories, and he put them into the songs that he wrote that became the songbook of the Israelite nation. 
But one of my favorites has always been the Apostle Paul. I, I love Paul because I think a lot of times it's, it's a sad situation that we don't realize how immense our salvation really is. If you got saved young in life, that is an amazing, wonderful, powerful, incredible thing. But you forget sometimes about what God saves us from. Paul was being a zealot for religion. He thought it was for God. He was out persecuting, killing people in the name of religion, in the name of God. But he didn't know the Messiah. He didn't know Jesus Christ until he was on the road to Damascus. And as as he was on that road, God supernaturally came to him, and his eyes were opened, and he came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it just reminded me again, how often, John, do you take time to just thank God for salvation? Do we take time, folks, to thank God for salvation? And do we pray? So here's Paul, and Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. And he's sharing with them his heart, and he shared with them something really incredible. It was a mystery. Now, when I started examining this mystery that he talks about, I really, it really got exciting because you're digging through things. In fact, if you look in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 1, it says this, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. What was that mystery? Well, if you look in chapter 2, verses 11 through the end of the chapter, you're going to see what that mystery was, which is interesting because this mystery was not even talked about in the Old Testament. And what was that mystery? This was the mystery. God had shared in his scriptures how he loved and cared for and sent Christ to redeem the Jewish nation. He told us how, which we read in Romans, especially about how he redeemed and opened the door to the Gentiles. But the mystery was that the Jews and the Gentiles were seen before God on the very same page. That they were both his children with the same standing in Christ, with the same um, uh, qualifications met, with the same situational situation before God as they kneeled before him. They were not Jews and Gentiles. They were together Christians, those who acknowledged and embraced him as their savior. And this was this really earth-shattering thing because the Jews over here, they were doing their own thing as the children of God, and they kind of had the superiority, like, hey, we're better than these Gentile Christians because we're God's chosen people. And then we know what God does is he reveals to Peter that it be necessary that Gentiles too have been opened and focused and directed on the gospel. But Paul's saying this, which you and I might think, huh, big deal. But that wasn't the culture back then. Jews and Gentiles, even though Christians, would often go to different places of worship. And you think about that, how we if you're a child of God, are all to be unified in Christ regardless of what our past is, regardless of what your race is, or your gender is, or your family standing is, regardless of how much you feel you've sinned or how little you feel you've sinned, if you are a redeemed child of God, you are viewed the same across the board. You are his blood-bought children of God. And although that was hard for the Jews to swallow, it was exhilarating for the Gentiles. And what God was trying to say is the greatest thing that we can show to this world that doesn't know me is the unification 
of who we are together in Jesus Christ. That's the mystery that he shared. So we see with that background that we come now to verse number 14 of Ephesians chapter 3. And the Bible says this, again, we saw this in verse 1, but again, verse 14, for this reason. What was this reason? Because of this mystery that's been revealed. Because of this like, oh, like, wow, we are all together in Christ. And then as soon as he acknowledged that, he knew it was very vital and necessary, prayer. Again, I want to encourage you, where are you at in your times of talking to God Almighty? Now, I know there's times, I like driving around the valley, and I've shared this before, and I'll drive around the valley, and I know where a lot of you live. That could be scary, right? I know where a lot of you live, and as I drive through, I'll know, okay, well, that family lives over that way a couple blocks, or that one lives right on Main Street, or that one lives over there, and I love it. There are little times just to quickly say, hey, pray for this family, and pray for that family, and pray for this family. I'll head over to Quakertown. We got some families over there. I head over to Gilbertsville. We got some families over there, and driving around, and they're great times just to say, hey, pray for these individuals. There's also the time when we come before God in an intense, set-aside opportunity that we pray and take our time to set away the distractions, leave your phone in the other room, put your iPad somewhere else, shut off your computer, and go out in nature, go out in your backyard, go in your basement, wherever it is, and talk to the God of the universe. He wants to hear from us. He commands that we as his children talk to him. And there's these amazing blessings as we pour out our heart to him. Yes, he knows our thoughts and hearts, and yet he commands us to say, Lord, I'm struggling with this, God. Lord, forgive me for this. Lord, thank you for this. Lord, I bring up my brothers and sisters in this situation and to fall before him. And Paul, when he thinks of the mystery, he knows his need to fall before God. And I love how he starts out the verse there. Again, in verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth and on earth is named. I want to encourage you, first of all, as I think about some of the things God did with me this this July, is never lose your awe for God. Paul used the phrase, bow his knees. It wasn't stated to remind everyone that that he was writing to of of the fact that he was praying. What he was trying to let them know is he was coming in humble submission with passion, recognizing the holy God to whom he was speaking. And every family he's talking about, there is a reminder that all families in history, past, present, and future, would know the impact and would be able to rejoice together in unity. I love it when I get to join arms with brothers and sisters from around the world. This summer, in July, I got a chance to pray with people that have been a part of my life and new folks I've met along the way, some of whom live in this area, some of who live in the Midwest, some of who I talk to live around the world. I got to pray with Brother Ben Fortney when he's in Honduras, and here I am sitting in the United States of America. And our God... As Paul prays there, he says, I bow my knees in humble adoration, but with passion before the most holy God. And you can see the awe he has there. The God from from ages past, present, and future, who I embrace, because he's my God. He's my God. 
Folks, we lose the awe of God in our, in our world of special effects, I'm afraid. We almost look for this Disney concept of God. We're looking for these flashing lights when all we have to do is stop and open our eyes and our ears and see all of God's creative work he does for our enjoyment. The thunder and lightning of a storm when the wind picks up. And as you guys experienced more than I did, I must have been living for the Lord better than you. All the rain that you got. Just kidding, just kidding. All the rain that was there, but when you stand, one of my favorite things is to stand or sit on a porch that's got an overhanging and to see a storm go by. To hear the crickets at night and to see the fireflies sparkle the sky. To see the corn grow up see the birds fly by, to see the kind gestures of those who are in Christ that God puts along our way that sometimes just give us a smile and sometimes put their arm around and pray with us. And the folks that we don't even know that are lifting us up right now because they have been prompted by the Spirit of God to do so. Folks, we need to stop and take some time to say, have I lost the awe of the God that I pray to? the God that can move heaven and earth, the God that created heaven and earth, the God that when it's all said and done will have the devil himself bow and claim before all mankind that he is king of kings, God is king of kings, and God is Lord of lords. Folks, let's not get so caught up in all the trappings of our world that we don't take time to go, Lord, help me to keep in front of me the awe of who you are. Hey, folks, if nothing else, if we lived in a world of abstract colors, to be able to know that Jesus Christ came to die, that we would have salvation, would be enough. But no, he gives us beautiful sunrises and sunsets and good friends and prayer partners and the laughter of children and the arm of a friend to lean on when I'm struggling. We serve an awesome God. The second thing I want to share with you from this prayer is know where your power comes from. Verse 16. Verse 16. The Bible says this, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Almost always in Paul's writings, you're going to see his compassion for the spiritual welfare of the individuals he's talking to. In fact, if you want to make a note of this to look at later, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11 is an example of that. What he was doing here was he was reminding in his prayer the people that he was praying for of the amazing power that we have who are in Christ's love. The riches of his glory are his grace, his compassion for others that he gives to us the care for his body that he shows to us, the, 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 the impression in our hearts to reach the lost for him. These all are blessings, and, because, and the only reason that they're blessings is because of his finished work on the cross of Calvary. And all of them are a part of the transformation that we have in Jesus Christ. He empowers all of us who are in Christ and are in his word and are being obedient to his spirit's leading to live the lives that he wants us to. His intention is for all of us to get our power through his spirit and through his word. That's why he says, I love that phrase in verse 16 again, that according to the riches of his glory, 
the riches of his glory, those things that he gives to us that are just benefactors of who he is in Christ, that he gives us the ability to have mercy, to be able to have compassion on those that don't deserve it, forgiveness for those that have wronged us. Those are all part of the package deal that we have when we have Christ. Those are the riches we get. We think of gold and silver and, 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 and artifacts sometimes. We think of riches. But the riches that we get to have as Christians that come from our Father that are given to us that we can then share with all those that he's put into our life. But we are so demanding of others to do what they should do in Christ, even if I don't do what I do. Well, they need to forgive, and they need to change, and they need to love, and they need to do this. No, you know what? You'll never see this in the Bible, that God wants you to change anybody. Yeah, we speak truth to others, but you are the only person that you can change. And to know that as we become more like Christ, we get even more of those riches to be able to share and give out that he has for us. And I love that he continues, why? He may, that he may grant you to be strengthened. The more you get those riches and, and the more you be able to understand the grace of God, the more that gives us the strength with power through his spirit in our inner being. We're able to handle then the, the attacks and the battles and the challenges that come our way because of Christ. Because of Christ. And I think it's very important for us to remember that our power comes from one source and one source alone, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, you can putter through life in your human strength, but I'm telling you, I have been in dark valleys when you can't see your hand in front of your face spiritually. And you know God somewhere, but you don't see him and to be able to watch him guide you through that. I don't know how not knowing Christ you can get out of those valleys. To be crushed by my sin and broken over it and having God forgive me and then empower me to move forward all because of his grace and mercy. Yeah, you can live life and not be a child of God. You can be good and not be a child of God. But you can do the impossible, amazing, astounding work that God wants each of us to do as we get to embrace and enjoy the riches of his glory. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Strong trees have deep roots. Strong trees have deep roots. Every believer has the Spirit of God living in them, starting at the point of salvation. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 to 11 confirm that for us, as well as this passage. As Christians, we should have at our foundation love. We talked about that. Love not only for our incredible God, but also love for his people. Our love should be a growing love. As we grow in our love for God, the natural byproduct is a selfless love for the people that he puts around us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 through 21, if you want to look there later. How is your love being lived out in your life? How is his love, excuse me, being lived out in your life? Now, one way that we show love here at UPCC is serving each other. And we're going to have our training times the next few weeks. 
And by you being here on time and ready to greet and to make coffee and to baby, take care of a baby and change a diaper and to teach a lesson to a preschooler or just help corral them, <laughs> to be able to be there to minister to our older grade school children or our teenagers or to run the technology that we can enjoy or to be able to help lead in worship as we focus our attention and our thoughts on God or to make sure that on the second floor right now we have somebody so that if anything bad did happen, we have security. All those pieces, folks, are ways, don't lose sight of this. That's the way we show love for each other. We serve each other. And I just warn us, it's a revealing of the selfishness of our heart and the lack of allowing God's love to work through us when we get so stingy in our lives and we so quickly complain. And by the way, the devil could care less if the world fights. He wants the body of believers to fight and complain and whine and bite because if he causes a stir here, then what? This world won't see the love that we have for each other that First John talks about. It's actually a way that the world sees the love of Jesus Christ. So rooted. Now, I'm not a gardener. I know that shocks everybody here. On top of the fact that I live on a gravel pit, my house is, literally <laughs> on a gravel pit. Um, just this summer, my son and one of his friends were digging around our house to be able to plant some more garden for my wife. She, uh, God bless her. She still thinks things are going to grow in our house. So I appreciate her <laughs> attempt to be able to do that. Um, and uh, so trying to do that along the way, and my son and his friend, they're doing all of a sudden, they didn't find one. They found multiple slabs of sidewalk from somewhere around our beautiful community that uh, were no longer needed. So we have this gravel pit. Now, I will know this, though. When you dig down and you put good dirt in and you break through the gravel and the rock and the stone and you plant and you see the roots go down as the winds blow and the roots grow down even further, you see trees and vegetation that can grow and make a huge impact for our enjoyment again, whether it's taking that fruit or vegetable off of it or the shade that we get from it. It's an amazing thing to see deep-rooted plants that we can enjoy. And there's nothing sweeter than a deep-rooted Christian. See, deep-rooted Christians are able to be able to show God's love when their love reaches its limit. My love reaches its limit a lot. But God's love doesn't. And as we as children of God are able to allow his love to allow us to what? Offer forgiveness when we feel like we shouldn't have to. To be able to give to others who don't forgive us. To be able to love the unlovable to be able to serve in areas I might not get excited about serving in, to just, like I said, have that welcoming smile, that warm handshake. When the Lord, Lord prompts you, that you shoot that text out to pray for that brother or sister in him. That when a need settles in on your heart, you don't say, I hope somebody else does something about it, but his love motivates you to do others. And as our love in him grows deeper and deeper and we mature in him, we want to show his love to others. Not so we can get a check or a gold star or so that we get some prize or that we get more love because we're a conduit now of his love. Lord, help me to love that person and that person and that person and that person. And believe me, I could put names up here as I listed every person here and pictures of individuals you'd have a hard time loving. But God can love anybody through you, through you. Strong trees have deep roots. Verses 18 and 19. Wallow in his love. Verse 18. 
Grounded in love, it says in verse 17, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What's the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The last part of my sabbatical, I was in Ohio, in Amish country, Ohio, which is still weird to me because I think of Lancaster as the only Amish area in the world, but in Amish country. And so I was out doing some walking, um, and I walked by this one farm, and they, I don't know why they felt it was a good idea to put their pigs right next to the road because it didn't smell good, first of all. But as I'm looking over there, it was a warmer day, and I just happened to glance, and I'm watching these pigs just, you know, rolling around in the mud. I'm assuming you get cool. I'm not a man of husbandry, so I don't know. But as I watched them wallow around in that, it, it just seemed that they were just having a blast rolling around in that mud. Of course, that's the last thing I want to do. I remember being at camp when they had the mud pit days, not my favorite day. And if you're the speaker at a camp, then you definitely are going to end up in the mud unless you like go to another county. So not my favorite thing. It gets in your, your ears and your eyeballs and everywhere, and it takes 17 weeks to wash out. So not a big fan of the mud. But man, those pigs seemed like they were having a blast. You know, God is not trying to withhold from us. He wants us to be able to wallow in his love. To just realize today, you are unconditionally and fully desired by God and he loves you with a bottomless love. We can't even comprehend how wide his love is because you all know the sins of your heart. You know you can pontificate and talk about how great you are and put your chest out and rave your arms up and you can shout it to, to the, to the, from the mountaintops about how great your love is, but God knows you. And even though God knows you and all your thoughts and your struggles and your challenges, God loves the guy that, or girl that you and I would say is the greatest Christian as much as he does the person that we'd say is the worst being on earth. Not just the worst Christian, the worst being on earth. And I don't think we take enough time because I think we buy into a lie of the devil that we don't deserve God's love, which, by the way, we don't. But here's the lie. Regardless of what we do on our best day and our worst day, God loves us the same. The same. Do you just take time and go, thank you for loving me, God. I don't feel lovable today, God. I don't feel like loving others today, God. But thank you, God, for loving me, an undeserving sinner. Now, in the context of that, listen to these scriptures again, verse 18. We just talked about being rooted and grounded in love in verse 17. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What's the breadth and length and height and depth? See, as we grow in maturity in Christ, God gives us the ability to understand and embrace God's love more and more. We just talked about that. This description here is trying to show us the vastness of God's love that allows the dead to not only live, but to forgive the unforgivable, to love the unlovable, and to wallow in the amazing depths of his incredible love for us. As we grow in his love, we understand more and more, and we appreciate his qualities and his characteristics like a husband and a wife when they first get married and the more they know each other. Not just in a physical way, but sometimes they get to the point where you can finish sentences, know exactly what each other likes and doesn't like, 
We know what buttons to push if we want to get a rise out of them, and we also know what to do to encourage them. And as we get to know God, I love verse 18, the strength that comes that we can comprehend with all saints. I love that, all saints. There is not one person here, based on your intelligence or lack of it, that can have any less of an understanding of the vastness of God's love than another person. This isn't an educational thing. It's a fact. God loves us immensely. Don't focus on the height, breadth, depth of all that. Focus on the fact that we can't ever fully understand how great God's love is for us. But it is. And so when the devil comes along and says to you, no, God doesn't love you. You went too far this time. That's a lie. Now, we want to come before him and ask for forgiveness, but it doesn't affect his love for us at all. And then verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We can't understand it. But what does it do? That it fills us with the fullness of God. The more I get to know God, the more I understand who God is, and then the better I can live for him. Verse 20, we're wrapping up things. God is the God of the impossible. Again, I don't think we believe that. Now, even though it's in the scriptures, I mean, there's some impossible stuff in the scriptures, right? Humanly speaking, what's something impossible in the scriptures? The Red Sea getting split, impossible. Humanly speaking, impossible. I had a person one time, I may have mentioned this here, I had a guy one time tell me he was not a follower of Christ, and he goes, well, actually, that meant Reed Sea, not Red Sea. Well, if it's a Reed Sea, then the Reed Sea that destroyed the whole Egyptian army, that's a miracle too. But anyways, God split water, made dry ground, and the Israelites walked across it, and then the waters came and they destroyed. That is an impossible task. What's another impossible one in the Bible, humanly speaking? What? It's that he died on the cross, that he could take the sin of all mankind. Humanly, blows our mind. He was punished in two ways instead of normally they were punished one, either whipping or crucifixion. He took both of it, and all of it because he loves us. What's one more? Yes. Earthquake. Yeah, man alive. Just sitting in jail. That just happened to happen, right? Just happened to release my chains and also keep the structure intact that I can get out. Folks, over and over again, we see the amazing, mighty hand of God. But folks, that God didn't go away when the Old Testament was finished. He didn't go away when the New Testament was finished. He's still working. Sit with somebody who just accepted Christ as, your, as their Savior, and you see the miracle of new life. See somebody supernaturally forgive another person, love an unlovable person, be able to be in a situation that, humanly speaking, blows their mind, and we see the hand of God all around us doing impossible things. Impossible things. We see God do challenging things, but we see God do impossible things. I've shared some stories in here. I won't today, but I have been in situations where it never should have happened humanly, but it did because God is the God of the impossible. Now keep that in mind as we read verse 20. Paul continues his prayer. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work. Where? Within us. 
God does more than we could ever get our heads around in his love, but then more than we can get our heads around when it comes to the things that we can do because of Christ. See, you have limitations. Christ doesn't. And if Christ lives in you, which if you're a child of God, he does in the form of the Holy Spirit, then you can accomplish anything that he tasks you to do. Folks, God convicted me big time in July about fear. And how often I'm unwilling to do things because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that if I give God everything, the bad things are going to happen to me. What's God going to take away from me? Will he take away my family? Will he take away my stability? Will he take away my finances? Will he take away my health? Will he take it away? And this is what God hit me with. God's good isn't always John's good. But God's good is good. And God may use me in a way that I might necessarily humanly want to be used, but it will be for his honor and glory, and he will give me the peace confidence I need as I allow him to work in those situations. So don't get discouraged, Christian, when, quote, unquote, our good stuff doesn't happen to us because God's good is still being done. And let him use you in those situations, knowing this, he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. Don't allow those fears to stop you. The last point. He's deserving of all of our praise. Verse 21. To him who, God, be glory in the church. In the church, folks. God has a place for the church. We live in a culture and more and more where church is something that can be a nice add-on. God works through the church. Yes, God works in his kingdom, but God has established in the New Testament very clearly the church. And he puts elders over the church to lead it and deacons to be able to serve and do the -the behind-the-scenes stuff in the church. He provides the church to give us support on our way. He provides the church to give us correction when necessary. He provides the church to be able to be there to help lift us up when we are weak. He has the church there to call us back to righteousness and to train and equip us to go out and serve. But God works through the church. It says again, verse 20, 21, excuse me, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He is deserving of all praise. But we don't live in a culture of praise, do we? We live in a culture of complaint. Oh man, but if they do this at the church, if my wife would do this, if my husband would do this, if my kids would do this, if my parents would do this, if my boss would do this, if my employees would do this, if they would just, then I would. And then we complain and we whine and we criticize and we don't like traffic and we don't like when it takes too long at a restaurant and we don't like people don't do things the way I think they should be done and how can they not think the way that I think and we get all frustrated. And you know, in the midst of all that, what we forget? Praise. I used to be one of the biggest complainers about traffic. I don't have to really drive as much as I used to. Now that I can walk there, I really can't complain about too much foot traffic <coughs> from my house here. But you know one of the things, somebody else challenged me with this, but it's been really cool. When, I, when you get to traffic and you're stopped dead, and this happened actually when I was traveling, I was some traffic, I just pull out my phone and I use my directory as a way to pray. 
You can turn something instead of going, would you get going? How long is it going to take? Just take it, put it up there so you can see as you're sitting there, and just pray. And go through it and pray for the Schmitz and the Arnolds and the Thompsons and the Frillos and the, the Kings and so on and so forth as you go down that. Think of other people God puts on your heart. And then praise him that he wants to hear from us. And the praising that he gave you a chance to sit in that traffic, to take some time to lift up folks before him. See, it all changes when it's about praise. And by the way, he's deserving of it all anyways. You're alive today because God woke you up. Not your alarm clock or your parents. You're able to be here today because God allowed you to be here. And folks, we live and we're worshiping on this third floor. And as you're going to pray about during second hour for the persecuted church that right now, I realize time zones are different, but right now you have brothers and sisters in Christ that are hiding in jungles in Asia, whispering their sermons, whispering their prayers for fear of what could happen. You've got believers that have to hide in Saudi Arabia and in Iran and Iraq and in Turkey. We don't worry about that. That is something we can praise God for. Folks, he's worthy of all praise. Let me just kind of review our points. Never lose your awe for God. You cannot have an awe for God if you're not in his word. We learn about God in his word. Secondly, know where your power comes from. Christ must be allowed to not only be your Savior, but be your Lord. What do you need to do to submit to him today? What area have you not given over to him? What are you clinging on to? Strong trees have deep roots. How are you practically living out his love, not only for this body, but to those around you? Wallow in his love. Would you take some time this week to just focus on a few ways that you've seen God's love for you? God is the God of the impossible. What is the impossible thing that you're asking God for? What impossible things have you already seen him do, and do you thank him for those? Which leads us to the last. He's deserving of all of our praise. Make time each day to stop, and not to complain about the things that aren't going right, but to praise God for who he is and what he has done. That's just kind of a scratch of the surface of some things God taught me as I study these prayers. And I encourage you to make prayer a more active part of your life. I encourage you to think of ways we as a body even give us ideas as leaders about what we can do to make prayer a more active part of our corporate life. There's nothing quite as sweet as locking arms with your brothers and sisters and praying to our loving God. Let's pray. God, you are a good God. God, you love us so much, Father. Lord, my heart aches today for those that might be visiting with us or who come every Sunday who don't have a personal relationship with you, God. Help them to realize today that being a certain religion, being good or bad, coming here, none of those have any bearing on our standing before you. We need to come to a point where we accept your gift of salvation, become your child. I pray, Father, that you would just help us as a church, Father, for those that are your children here, that we'd be challenged by Paul's prayer, that we'd go home and we'd read over it again, that we'd chew on it, Lord, that we'd find ways we can praise you, that we would enjoy who you are, God, that we would tap into your love so we can love others that are difficult for us to love, God. Help us to see you at work in powerful ways. 
Lord, help us to be more prayer-focused. We thank you again, Lord, for your grace and your mercy and your love. In your precious name.